0: and turn instead to secular models of leadership in pursuit of style-obsessed formula they think will make them better leaders. Yet entire organizations now exist to train church leaders with leadership techniques and management styles gleaned from worldly experts. I'm convinced there are better models for Christian leaders to follow. Doesn't it seem obvious that the Apostle Paul would have more to teach Christians about how to lead than we could ever learn from Donald Trump? For that very reason, this book is largely based on biographical material on the life of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Of all the biographies I have read and the lives that have left their mark on my character, no one mortal individual has left a deeper impression on me than the Apostle Paul. I sometimes feel I know more about him than anyone else except Christ, because I have spent a major portion of my life studying the biblical account of his life, letters, and ministry, learning leadership at his feet. I have based most of this book on biographical and autobiographical material drawn from Acts 27 and the epistle of Second Corinthians. These passages show Paul at his best as a leader. Some who merely scan these pages might be tempted at first to think, Well, this is all about Paul. It's not really about me, but it's actually about what we ought to be. Paul himself said, I urge you, imitate me. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. He was a true example of the Christ-like leader. We'll start with examining how Paul's leadership was manifest in the most unlikely of situations. In a shipwreck where he was the lowest-ranking person on board ship. And yet, he rose to the occasion and demonstrated extraordinary powers of leadership. Then we will example principles of leadership from several key passages in Second Corinthians. As we shall see, it is filled with keen insight on how to lead people. Then we will round out our study of leadership with two key passages, one from First Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, looking at key insights into the leader's character and personal discipline. What we learn from the Apostle Paul is the same thing Jesus taught, that character, not style, not technique, not methodology, but character is the true biblical test of great leadership. Entrepreneurship is wonderful, but the most skilled entrepreneur in the world without character is no true leader. Strategic planning is important, but if you don't have leaders whom people will follow, your strategic plan will fail. The clarity of a well-drafted purpose statement is crucial. But the true spiritual leader must go beyond merely clarifying people's focus. The real leader is an example to follow. And the best example to follow, as Paul knew, is the one who follows Christ. My goal in this book is to distill the biblical principles of leadership in a way that I hope will be beneficial for leaders in every realm. Business leaders, civic leaders, church leaders, parents, teachers, personal disciplers, youth leaders, or whatever. All Christians are called to influence others and teach them the truth about Christ. Therefore, no matter what your status, position, giftedness, or occupation, you are called to be a leader at some level. So this audiobook is for you. Whether or not you currently think of yourself as a leader, my prayer is that you will aspire to the kind of leadership the Apostle Paul exemplified. Bold, uncompromising, faithful, spiritual leadership that inspires people with a hunger to be imitators of Christ. Part 1. Paul in Chains. Leadership in Action. Chapter 1. Earning Trust. If you want a human model of leadership, I don't think you'll ever find a better model than the Apostle Paul. Paul is my hero as a leader. He was a true leader of people, and his leadership rose to the occasion in every conceivable situation. His leadership abilities had nothing to do with titles. He wasn't governor of any territory. He wasn't the commander of any troops. He wasn't a nobleman of any kind. God had conferred on him the title of apostle, But that was his only title, and it had no relevance outside the church. Yet in Acts 27, we see him taking charge of a situation in a secular, hostile environment when other men, powerful men, proved unable to lead. Paul was not, especially in this situation, a man of high position. He was, however, a man of great influence, a natural leader. What we find in Acts 27 is a very interesting situation. Paul was beginning the long journey from Caesarea to Rome, where he would be tried in the court of Caesar. He was to be transported in chains as a prisoner. At the beginning of Acts 27, Paul is in Caesarea. He is to be sent to Rome to stand trial before Nero. His long imprisonment in Caesarea is over, and now a new chapter begins as the Roman procurator makes arrangements for the long passage to Rome. At this point, the narrative of the book of Acts shifts gears. Luke begins writing in first person, suggesting that he was permitted to go along as Paul's companion on the journey to Rome. So what he writes is his own first-hand testimony, an inspired eyewitness chronicle. And he begins to color in more details. In fact, this chapter of Acts is said by some scholars to contain more information about ancient seafaring than virtually any other first century source. And amazingly, there are more words in Scripture devoted to detailing Paul's journey from Caesarea to Rome than all the words about creation in Genesis. So it's an important account. When the journey to Rome began, Paul was clearly the low man on the totem pole. He had no authority. He had no responsibility. He had no rights. As a prisoner, he was at the bottom, both physically and socially. Undoubtedly, the ship he was to sail on was selected for him by Roman officials. He was placed in the company of a man named Julius, whom Luke says was a centurion of the Augustan Regiment, an imperial cohort. As a centurion... Julius had at least a hundred men under his command, and they were specifically assigned to work for Caesar. So as centurions go, he was one of the highest ranking in the entire Roman army, and his men would have been elite soldiers. Luke wrote, So entering a ship of Adramedium we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coasts of Asia. The plan was for Julius to ride this ship with Paul toward Adramedium, and at some major port along the way, uh, they would pick up another ship to Rome. Luke continued, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. Aristarchus was a friend and companion of Luke and Paul. He is mentioned in Acts 20, verse 4, as one of the several members of the Thessalonian church who accompanied Paul home to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey. According to Acts 19, 29, Aristarchus was also with Paul in Ephesus when the whole city rioted at his preaching of the gospel so he had been a long-time friend and companion of Paul's no doubt a believer and a fellow minister he had apparently stayed with Paul through those years of imprisonment at Caesarea now he would accompany Paul and Luke on their trip to Rome that sets the scene Paul is a prisoner the ship had a captain and certainly a first mate. Under them would be other ranking sailors. Overseeing Paul's custody was a Roman centurion, and verses 31 and 32 say he had some soldiers with him, crack troops. So there were a lot of people with authority on that ship. Not Paul. He was at the bottom of everything. Perhaps even in the literal sense, he would no doubt have been kept in the hold of the ship. But Julius seemed to have been a noble man, And Acts 27.3 says that after just one day's travel during the first stop at Sidon, on the very first day of the trip, some 70 miles north of the Mediterranean coast from Caesarea, he treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. The expression translated receive care is a medical term. It indicates that the apostle was probably suffering from some kind of ailment. That isn't any wonder, since he had been in prison for so long. Of course, Luke was a physician, and one of his duties, no doubt, was to care for Paul. But something about his ailment warranted a visit ashore. He would not have been able to gain the diet, the rest, and the care he needed while remaining on board ship, so Julius granted Paul shore leave to be cared for by his friends. They ministered to his physical needs, and Paul no doubt ministered to their spiritual needs.